Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 3. I believe you have already read the passage. Enemies of growth. We know that growing up in this world, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally, there are a lot of things that will prevent us from growing properly. Physically, there are a lot of bad food, things that we should not eat that will stunt and stumble our proper physical growth. Emotionally, there are a lot of things on this earth, there are a lot of things that we are afraid of, there are a lot of wicked people who will do a lot of harm to us that may hinder our emotional growth. In the Bible, when a person is kidnapped, do you know that God had imposed the death penalty? Even after that child that you kidnap is returned safely, why did God impose the death penalty? We can understand when it is murder. We can even understand when it is adultery because adultery will destroy the family. And family to God is very, very important. And that's why God enforced stoning when an adulterer is caught. But kidnap, the child did not die. The child is returned safely to the parent. But you and I know that when a child is kidnapped and the child is old enough to understand the experience, the trauma caused to the psyche, the emotional well-being of the child is damaged probably for the rest of his life or at least for many, many years of his life. For example, if the child was kidnapped on his way to school, the child had always felt very safe as he walked to school from home until that moment in time. And even after he had been released from his kidnappers and has gone home, do you think the child can safely, without any worry about going to school on his own? That peace and tranquility, that safety, that sense of safety had been robbed and taken away from him. So emotionally, the child is damaged for a long, long time. Every hurt, every betrayal, it hurts, it wounds, it damages our emotional well-being. And so we can't grow and mature properly, emotionally, strongly. And so it affects us and impacts us. And so there will always be some enemies, some things that will hinder our growth. And this is also true when it comes to spiritual growth. And what better way to stunt and stumble our spiritual growth is through the Word of God. The lack of knowledge will result in ignorance. And any one of us who live our Christian life and testify for Christ in ignorance, most likely it will be in error. Now, whether it is in ignorance or not, error is still error. The Christ that we present will not be the Christ of the Bible. It will be the Christ of our own making and design out of ignorance. Now, ignorance is in itself a serious transgression. 
especially when it is deliberate. If you are living in countries where you are heavily persecuted, where the Word of God is embargoed and you do not have access to the Word of God like in the time of church history, the Dark Ages that lasted more than a thousand years where the Roman Catholic Church embargoed the Bible, anyone caught translating the Word of God into the vernacular language of their own people, the person could be caught and face the death penalty. And many of them were caught and faced the death penalty. One of the more well-known ones was William Tyndale, the first man who translated the Bible into the English language from the original text. Not completely. He managed to finish the New Testament and some books of the Old Testament before his friend betrayed him. He was arrested, strangled to death, and then burned at the stake. And so during that period of time, when people truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, all they had was the gospel, and they did not have access to the word of God. And how do they grow in grace and in the knowledge, when the knowledge, when the word of God was kept away from them? And so they were literally, deliberately being put into an environment of ignorance, of their, not of their own choosing. Because they can't read. There's no Bible in their own languages translated for them, for them to read God's Word. But we're not talking about that kind of enforced ignorance in our culture. We're talking about deliberate ignorance where reading and studying the Bible is of very low priority. And because of the low priority, we walk in ignorance, and it is indeed a sin. But what is worse than a sin of ignorance is the sin of deception, where there will be people who will deliberately teach you wrong things. Now, of course, they are really convicted that what they're teaching is right. But that's the nature of false teachers. Second Peter chapter 1, chapter 2, I beg your pardon, verse 1 warns us of our enemies. And so our enemies are identified for us in chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, were past tense. Peter was referring to the Old Testament national witness period, the Old Testament. They were called false prophets then. They were very, very active throughout the period of the monarchy. Major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel, and all the 12 minor prophets, they were written during the period of the monarchy. Except for the final few books, they were written after they returned from exile, like Malachi. But by and large, these were false prophets. They came in and then they said, Thus say the Lord, just like Jeremiah, just like Isaiah. And so the people were confused. They imitated the same terminologies. Thus say the Lord, Jeremiah came and gave them the word of God. Seventy years you will be in captivity. And the false prophets will rise up with all their false prophet, very expensive garments. And they have a team. They have hundreds of them, whereas Jeremiah would be all alone. And then they are going to use the same formula, thus say the Lord, Jehovah. Two years you've been in captivity, and after that you will return. Now the people are now 
put into a hot spot. How are they going to know? How are they going to know who is false and who is not? Both use, thus said the Lord. This is one man dressed in common clothes. And here you have the false prophets with a long, long list of buddies. Majority. Thus said the Lord, two years, of course, we want to hear two years. We don't want to hear 70 years. 70 years means you probably die in captivity. 70 years means if you are taken, you are going to have to live in captivity for the rest of your life. Your families, if you want to get married, will be born, your children will be born in captivity like slaves. Don't like that kind of news. Don't like that kind of prophecy. Are you going to base it upon whether you like it or not before you determine what is true and what is not true? Based upon what you like? You like two years, right? That's what the false prophets proposed. Jeremiah declared, thus said the Lord, 70 years. Of course, Jeremiah told the truth. But right there and then, you won't know until two years have lapsed, isn't it? So at the end of two years, oh, we're still in captivity. So therefore, Jeremiah is true, not them. But what happened during those two years? You believe in a lie. You live in a lie. You testify for Christ in a lie. So you live in false hope based upon the lies, the deception of the false prophets. That was in the period when the Bible was still in the process of writing, of completion. So false prophets were very, very dominant, and the devil knew what to do. He didn't send in false teachers, he sent in false prophets, because God sent true prophets. Now when the Bible is completed now that in our age and in our time, with the completion of the Bible, the devil won't send false prophets, because to send false prophets would be very, very myopic. Sure. The charismatics have resurrected the prophetic ministry to their own uh, damnation and foolishness because they continue to add to Scripture. And the Bible warns us no one is permitted to add to Scripture or to subtract from Scripture. To add to Scripture means all the plagues found in the book of Revelation will be added unto you, and those plagues only were added to those who have the mark of the beast. That means you're not a believer. And if you subtract from God's word, Jesus says, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life. That means you're not a believer in the first place. So a truly born-again believer will not add or subtract from God's word. But in the time of the prophets, when the Bible was in the process of completion, they continued to add to scripture. So the devil will send false prophets to confuse. They also add, but they add wrongly. They add false, falsehood. But now that the Bible is completed, so Peter warns us, even as there shall be false teachers among you. So now the devil will send in false teachers. You see how clever? Just as confusing as in the Old Testament time. Thus said the Lord, now they use false teachers. So these false teachers will say, I believe in the 66 books of the Bible just like you. Very clever, isn't it? They're not going to be false teachers and say, well, I don't believe in the 66 books of the Bible. Such false teachers, please leave. Don't teach in our Bible college. Don't teach in our seminary. So the devil is not going to send in idiots. He's going to send in people who will look like the truth, sound like the truth, and very convincing. The devil is not a dummy. 
He is a very, very wily, ferocious, roaring lion. And so he will send in false teachers among you. The Apostle Paul understood very well at the conclusion of his third missionary journey, he warned the Christians. He called the elders from the church of Ephesus to come to him when he was in the Isles of Miletus on the way to Caesarea to return to Jerusalem. He said, after my departure, you're going to experience two kinds of enemies in the church. One from outside, very, very ravenous wolves. They're trying to devour the flock. Enemies from outside. Then there will be enemies from inside. He says, they are going to be men who will rise up from within among you and draw men unto themselves. Whoa. Which do you think? would be more potent and dangerous. False teachers from outside trying to bang down your church door or false teachers who already crept into your house, into your church, and then they started to slowly but surely rise up and then they're going to do their damage. And so their method is mentioned in the second half of verse 1, who privily, stealthily, quietly, shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. In other words, they will not escape. They will be punished severely by God. They're going to be dealt with. Rest assured. But they will come in. Rest assured. They will be people you know. They will be people you fellowship with. Eat with. Go on holidays with. Serve together with. Pray together. May even have helped you financially in one way or another. They're going to be very nice to you. But they will teach you damnable heresies. And the word damnable means heresies that are destructive. Heresies that can destroy your faith, your testimony. And if you are not truly born again, destroy your soul. false teachers. What if these false teachers are your own children? What if the false teacher is your dad, your mom, and they are being disciplined by the leaders of the church? And they refuse to repent and change their falsehood. What would you do? You are a grown man, a grown woman. Mid-twenties, let's say. And so your mom and your dad, they want to leave the church. And so in your own home, they explain to you their position and their doctrine. Or the other way around. Your children 
having Bible-sama errors because of their friends that they're mixed up with in university or in the workplace. And then they come home and then they started to tell you why the charismatic tongue-speaking and the doctrines are correct and why what they are doing is correct with their visions and dreams and their way of worship with the contemporary Christian music and all their modern songs replacing old-fashioned hymns quietly. While your family continue to come to church, your son and your daughter continue to serve. But quietly at home, they begin to propose new ideas, new teachings. What will your response be? Would you see them as enemies? Because that's how the Bible describes them, false teachers. How you know that they are false? They bring in damnable heresies. Teachings that will destroy your faith, your life, your testimony. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6. The Bible gives us some Old Testament instruction if that ever happened in the land of promise. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is at thy own soul, as thy own soul, your best friend, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thy eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thy hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people and thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he had sought to thrust thee away from the Lord of thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear, and shall do no more any such wickedness as this among you. That is, God's clear, non-negotiable instruction. Now, are you prepared to accept God's clear injunction? When the enemies are identified and they are your close relatives, loved ones, are you prepared to take such a stand? Grow or die, you take the wrong stand, you die. Now the Bible here warns us that this is God's requirement. And you and I know that God neither over or under punishes anyone. 
God sees this as a very serious transgression because if this man does not uh, deal with this properly, it will spread to the whole village, then the city, then the whole tribe, then the whole nation. That's how idolatry, false teaching will spread. It doesn't just simply stay in one place. It will spread like poison, like virus. Very quickly, it will infect. And in order to save the whole nation, the whole tribe, the whole city, the whole village, that person refusal to stop his falsehood must be stoned to death. And the father will be the one who will cast the first stone. That means you bring your child, you bring that person, even your wife, to the leaders. And then let them investigate and question. And then if the person, even your wife, refused, then the wife will stand in front of everyone. And then the whole village will be standing behind, you with in front, facing your wife. You bend down, you pick up that stone, and there are stones everywhere in the promised land, sharp ones, the size of your fist. And all of them will bend down and pick up their stone, and none of them will throw any stone until you throw the first one. Your wife may be crying, you will be crying, your love for your wife will still be there. The mother of your children will still be there standing by. But she is a false teacher. Why did you allow her to become a false teacher, husband? When you married her, she was not a false teacher. What did you do? You see, you understand now? Your son, your daughter, when she or he was born into your family, why didn't you bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord? Why do you allow them by your dereliction of parenting to result in such a falsehood in your child's life that now he refused to repent? And this is going to be the outcome. Now every parent, every father, you better realize that if you do not bring your child up in the fear and nurture of the Lord and your child becomes a false teacher, this is going to happen. You marry your wife and if you do not help her to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and she becomes a false teacher, this is going to be the outcome. You want to do that? You're the head. You are in charge of the spiritual well-being. Now, of course, in our church context, we can't stone but we can excommunicate. And if your father or your wife or your mother or your son or your daughter, they are in error, and they want to leave the church, are you going to leave with them so that you can, what, be a family and go to church together? Or are you going to go together and condone his or her sin? Or are you going to say, you are wrong, repent. If you want to leave, you leave alone. We are not going to leave. This is the church where the Lord wants us to be in, and this is where we are going to stay. 
Are you prepared to make that choice? False teachers, enemies identified. They're false teachers. And the moment they are identified, what are you going to do? You have to know God's word. Because if you do not know God's word, you're not going to know what is right and what is false, what is true, what is false. You have to know. Because every one of us must make a choice. There's no such thing as fence-sitting. Who said so? I want to sit on the fence. No such thing. Jesus said so. If you're not for me, you're against me. There's no such thing as, I don't want to promote Christ, but I don't want to promote the devil. If you're not promoting Christ, please understand you're promoting the devil. Do you know that? This stance of neutrality may make you think that you are acceptable to God. That is a big fat deception. Neutrality is the worst kind. Neutrality is a person, half his body or front part, he wears the uniform of Christ. His back is the uniform of the devil. So whose army do you belong to? When you look at me in front, I belong to Christ's army. But if I'm walking away, you look at my back, I belong to the devil's army. That's neutrality. There's no such thing. You're born in sin. If you're born again in Christ, then you must be a Christ-centered witness. So there's no neutrality. Because you're born in sin, you're not born neutral. That's either you die in sin and end up in hell, or you die in Christ and end up in heaven. There's no such thing as die in neutrality, and therefore you end up somewhere in between. There's no somewhere in between heaven and hell. So you have to choose, and you can't choose properly if you do not know enough of God's Word. Without God's Word, you cannot grow in grace. You're going to grow, but you're not going to grow in grace. You're going to keep on growing in the opposite direction. That is death. You're going to grow in death. You're going to keep on studying the Bible. And don't just study for the sake of getting head knowledge. The Word of God not applied, not obeyed is useless. Jesus said so in the first parable in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. The only manner to hear God's word that the Lord is pleased with is to bear fruit. That means your life is transformed and changed. Otherwise, all the hundreds of hours of studying God's word is useless. Useless. The enemies are identified for us. They will be measured against the word of God, not against our denomination, against the word of God. So know the word of God well, dear friend. That is your only protection. That's your only ability to sieve out, to identify an enemy. If you go by feelings and emotions, like that poor man, she's my daughter. She's my daughter. If you go by feelings and emotions, you know blood is thicker than water. You are correct. It's a very painful choice if I have to choose Christ or my child. Christ or my wife. Christ or my husband. You are right. But do you know that that has always been our daily choices? Do you realize that? 
That's been our daily choices all the time. When you bring your child up, you send your child to school, do you know that it is a choice between Christ and your child? You either bring your child up according to the scripture, or you bring your child up according to the ways and the words of man. And if you have been bringing your child up according to scripture, you make the right choice at that point in time. And then next year, you're going to make another choice, another choice. Next day, every, every moment is a choice between Christ and your child. Do you know that? Every choice you and I make in life is between Christ or something or someone. Every time you make a choice. That's why you have to recognize who your enemies are. And you can't do that if you do not know God's word. Because that is the only yardstick. An enemy of yours is an enemy who meddle and muddle with God's word. That's an enemy. He's not someone, well, I don't like his laughter. I don't like his behavior. I don't like the way he sounds. That's not an enemy. That is a prejudice. An enemy has to be based upon very objective, undeniable guidelines. And that's where the word of God is the yardstick. You attack my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every time you attack the Bible. And that's why he is your enemy, because he attacked the Lord Jesus Christ when he attacks the Bible. Do you know that? And they bring in damnable heresies. When they brought in the doctrine, the Bible has mistakes, verbal plenary preservation, and they are very sly and very cunning to say that, well, I believe in verbal plenary inspiration, but I just don't believe in verbal plenary preservation. You know, that is to speak like the forked tongue of the serpent, the devil. They seem to be on your side on the one hand, and then after that, when they lower your guard, they now plunge the knife into your heart. But that perfect Bible that I once upon a time believed in doesn't exist anymore. You know how cunning and how clever it is? That's a damnable heresy. To say that Jesus Christ and God, they make mistakes. Because when you say there are mistakes in the Bible, it's the same as saying that God makes mistakes. How do you know, how do we know that there is a verbal plenary that is inspired Bible? where God, when he inspired the Bible, the Bible was perfect. How do we know that? The reason we know that is because today we have the same perfect Bible. Verbal plenary inspiration and verbal plenary preservation, they are two different sides of the same coin of perfection. If one side is perfect, then the other side has to be perfect. If you say one side is perfect and the other side is not perfect, that's a big fat lie. That still makes that coin a counterfeit, right? If I give you a coin, one side is perfect, it's exactly like the coin that is the original, the genuine, but the back side is not. That is falsehood. The back side is fake. 
can I still use that coin and pass it off as a legitimate, genuine currency? You think the police will arrest me? If the $2, they have a $2 coin, right, Australia? On one side, it's perfect, the genuine article, but the back part is not. Can I pass it off and use it? Would you accept it? Obviously not. That's the coin of the perfect Bible. You cannot have said one side perfect, VPI perfect, but the other side not perfect. Then it's gone. It's no longer perfect. And that means that's a damnable heresy. When God warns us, don't you dare add to Scripture, don't you dare subtract from Scripture. Do you know what is the implication? The implication is very logical. Those two verses can only be applied if we hold the perfect Bible in our hand. Those two verses cannot apply when the Bible was in the process of completion. Because in the process of completion, it's continued to be added, right? It continued to be added. But the moment the Bible was completed, and that's why those two verses appear in the closing verses of the book of Revelation. It is the end now. The Bible is completed. There is no longer progressive revelation. Progressive revelation concluded with the final book, the book of Revelation, and that's where these two verses apply. And these two verses apply only if you continue to hold the perfect Bible in your hand. If you don't have the perfect Bible in your hand, then we'll keep on adding, keep on subtracting. That's exactly what these anti-VPP proponents are doing. They come up to the pulpit and say, oh, this particular passage, oh, this word should not be there. So they took it out. Isn't that subtracting? Oh, one word is missing, so this word should be in. Isn't that adding? They just transgress what Jesus Christ warned us in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, never to do. If you're truly born again, you don't ever dare to do that. Because to do that, Jesus says you are not a child of God. You're not a Christian. That's why it is damnable heresy. Those who say they believe in the perfect Bible once upon a time and no more perfect Bible today, that's a damnable heresy. It is not something trivial. It's a very serious attack on the integrity and veracity of the person of Christ and God. When you say that their words at mistake is as good as saying that they are no longer perfect. A man looks perfect. The moment he opens his mouth, no longer perfect. Is he still perfect? No. Beware of damnable heresies, and they deny the Lord that bought them. When you undermine the Scripture, when you deny Scripture, that's how you undermine the Lord. And these enemies, sadly, tragically, they have many followers. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. Because they are very, very clever to hide their identity. They don't just simply appear in front of you and put on two horns. They come and appear to you as if they are good guys, as if they are very holy and righteous. That means they are going to speak and use a lot of Christian words, Christian jargons. How many will follow their pernicious, that means they are poisonous ways that will ruin you? One billion of them follow the Roman Catholic's pernicious ways. 600 and million follow 
the Roman cat, I mean the charismatic pernicious ways. 600 million. Hmm? That's many, isn't it? Closer to home, new evangelicals, people who call themselves very, very conservatives, new evangelicals. They are the people who believe the Bible as mistakes. Also many, majority of them, one of the arguments used by Life Church, hoping to convince the judge in the lawsuit against Far Eastern Bible College. The majority of them believe the Bible has mistakes, so therefore, truth is now defined and determined by majority. That's an evangelical belief. The Bible has mistakes is one of their characteristics. Do you know that? That's a new evangelical, a compromiser. They also don't believe in biblical separation. They believe in infiltration. And that's exactly what you see too in that camp. And they are very, very similar to us. They're also called Bible Presbyterians for your information. Many shall follow their pernicious ways that will ruin them by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You see that? We have penned hundreds of pages of notes explaining the Bible is perfect, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. They have never cited one single Bible verse to support the Bible has mistakes. <gasps> you see that? And yet, Many will follow their pernicious ways. That is the way of deception. Never go by majority. Go by the truth. Go by the word of God. Enemies followed. They will follow their enemies. Do you know that? You see, our world, our Christian world, it is a world that has already fallen away, apostate. The Christianity of the 21st century is the face of apostasy. You go into the internet, most of the sermons that are preached out there are all apostate in nature, sprinkled with a little bit of truth here and there in order to pass it off as truth. There will be a lot of bitterness, but sprinkle it with enough sweetness, the people will swallow it as if it is all sweet. That's how cunning the devil is. Please do not think the Bible with mistake is a small little doctrine. It doesn't matter. It matters a whole lot. That attack attacks all the doctrines in the Bible. Do you know that? That's why it is so pernicious. It is so deadly. When someone attacks the humanity of Christ or the deity of Christ, oh, Jesus Christ never actually took on human form because the human flesh is sinful. That's Gnosticism. They attack only one doctrine. Or another group attacks the deity of Christ. When Christ walked on earth, he surrendered his deity. They attack one doctrine. That when you say the Bible has mistakes, they attack all doctrines because all your doctrines come from the Bible. You share with the person the gospel and you say that, well, the gospel comes from the Bible with mistakes. Immediately, how do I know then the gospel you presented is, has no mistakes? Because you say that it came from a Bible with mistakes, right? 
then you should have no mistake. Oh, oh, don't worry, there's no mistake. How do you know? How do you know it has no mistakes? The gospel you just shared with me, how do you know it has no mistakes? Well, all things spiritual in the Bible has no mistakes, only the facts like names of people, places and numbers have mistakes. How do you know? How do you know? On what ground, on what basis do you say that only spiritual matters are perfect, only names of people, places and numbers have mistakes? On what basis? Because Jesus says, Anyone who cannot be faithful in the least cannot be faithful in the much. That means I cannot trust you if you can't be trusted in the least. And if you say numbers of people, places, and, number, and, and names of places are the least important, and if these can have mistakes, then how do I know when it comes to the more important there is no mistakes? Because Jesus says if you can't be trusted in the least, how can I trust you in the much? So do I believe Jesus or do I believe you? You say the original has no mistake. Have you seen the original? Or the original is lost? Then if the original is lost, no one has seen it, then how do you know the original has no mistakes? And now you tell me, and my entire eternity is in your hands. Based upon your authority, who are you? And you now tell me that the spiritual things in the Bible are perfect, but all the rest have mistakes, names of people, places. How do you know that? On what basis do you claim that? Do you make those statements? And you want me to trust my eternity, whether I end up in heaven or hell, based upon your authority? Who are you? What's your background? Do you know Hebrew, Arabic, and Greek? Have you seen and read all the thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament? No then on what authority do you make that kind of statement, that kind of claim? None. Do you know that? Zero. And yet, many shall follow their pernicious way. That's why it's so scary. And your only protection is to grow, or you will die. And if you are not born again, it's even worse. And if you are born again, it's tragic that you want to believe a lie. And then your holy witness will begin to die with you. And so some have left the sound of biblical church and joined these churches that teach. The Bible has mistakes. And now they begin to die. And the witness is now dying. The way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Isn't that exactly what they have done? The way of truth is the Bible has always been perfect. Now they say it's not. God created the world out of nothing. No, it's evolution. And then now you have evil professing believers say, well, God used evolution, which is worse. The flood of Noah is global. The whole earth was covered. The whole earth was covered, repeated again and again. And they believe in local flood. So many, many deadly errors out there today. And if you do not know the Word of God, and you do not keep on growing and study the Word of God, you're going to die. 
because the enemies could be right next to you, among you. It could be your Bible study buddies. It could be your Sunday school teacher. It could even be someone who come and speak from the pulpit. If we are not careful to guard the pulpit. Or you go onto the internet and you like to listen to sermons out there without discernment. And if you are not careful, please, many are not careful. Many follow their pernicious ways. And then they fall. They stumble. They die from their steadfastness. Why do people do that? Why do these false teachers do all these things? Verse 3, the enemy's motives exposed. And through covetousness, that's the key. Covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They make money out of you by using the name of Jesus Christ. People in the world, they make money out of you through the things that they create. Bill Gates make money out of the world through the computer. You go to the stall, they make money out of you by selling you food, by selling you milk, by selling you hammer, nails, tools for the construction of your home. And here we have people who make money out of you by selling the name of Jesus Christ, by promising you heaven, by telling you things that they twist and turn, but they say that it is from the Bible, and they make money out of you, make merchandise. That's what they say. The Bible says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, lies and deception, they're going to make merchandise out of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In other words, God has reserved them for destruction. They will not escape. They're going to face a judgment that will be worse than that of the ordinary sinner. Because God warns us in James chapter 3, verse 1, Be ye not many teachers, for greater will be your condemnation. And God never lies. Their motives is to make money. You see the Roman Catholic Church, how rich they are. Look at their cathedrals. I'm sure many of you may have gone to Europe and see St. Peter's Cathedral. I've not seen it. Don't plan to, actually. But I was told that it is spectacular. I've seen photographs, pictures, but not the real thing. I'm sure it must have been an experience to stand underneath and then you look up to see the beautiful three-dimensional, most difficult to paint painting by Leonardo da Vinci and the sculpture of King David by Michelangelo. How to make a block of marble look so lifelike. That's why it is so clever, so good, so well-known. It is said that when you look at it, 
that sculpture, it looks so human-like, but actually it is cold marble. How can someone be so gifted that can turn a block of cold marble into something that looks so human-like, so lifelike? The detail, stupendous, beautiful. You think those are free? You think it costs nothing? Make merchandise. And of course, you and I know about the charismatics. They are mega churches with their millions and millions and millions of dollars. They take pride in health and wealth. They want to look youthful all the time. They are pastors and preachers. They have to, because in order to sell them their gospel of health and wealth, they cannot be poor, they cannot be unhealthy, and so they have to look young all the time in order to prove to you that their gospel is true. You and I know that if I were to sell you some elixir for hair growth, you're not going to buy from me. True? Obviously, it's true. Because if I were to sell you my elixir of hair growth, telling you that if you apply this and apply that for so many weeks, your head will be full of hair. The moment you look at me, you know I'm a big fat hoax. I'm a liar through and through. What do you think? The charismatics, they promote the health and wealth gospel. They have to be wealthy. They can't live in HDB flat housing, public housing flats in Singapore. And then tell them, if you believe in Christ, you're going to be wealthy. I have to live in some multi-million dollar premises. I can't live in an HDB flat housing board where 80 plus percent of Singaporeans live in. In order for me to pass off my doctrine as true, I have to be wealthy. And they are doing it. I heard uh, Joseph Prince preach from uh, Psalm 133, verse 1. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's verse 1. He preached from verse 2. It is like the oil that poured down from Aaron's head and to his beard and all the way down to his garment. And he took Verse 2, out of its context, that focus on brotherly love. He took it out of his context, flashed it on the screen, that people don't know what is before it and what is after it, and then he took that verse and he turned it into silly putty and said whatever he wanted to say. And what did he say? The oil there represents wealth. God has told me today, that all of you in this congregation will be wealthy. It will pour down from heaven copiously all the way from the top of Aaron's head onto his beard and all the way to his whole garment. And that described for us the sequence of how the wealth would flow from heaven. It begins with the head. And then slowly it will pour all the way down to everyone in the congregation. And by that message, he has already given himself the license to be wealthy. 
And the people, thousands of them in the congregation, will say, Amen. Let our leaders and our pastors be wealthy first, and then my turn will be next. This is God's prescription. And therefore, if I do not help them and expect them to be wealthy, my turn will never come. And so when you see your pastors and their leaders living in fanciful multi-million dollar houses, condominiums, you will not blink an eyelid. You will not murmur a single sound. Because if they are not rich, I will not be next. And so let them be wealthy first. My turn will soon come. You see how cunning and how clever, how they make merchandise of their people? What I share with you is not theory, it's reality. And through covetousness shall they with faint words, faint words taken from the Bible, they twist and turn the Bible using the Bible, using the name of Christ, thus said the Lord, they will claim, this is gospel truth, they will claim. And they're going to make merchandise of the people who follow them, many, many. That's their motive to sell the name of Jesus Christ for filthy lucre. That's exactly what they have done. And these are the enemies of our growth. So you beware of them. They need not be strangers. They will be among us. And that makes them more deadly because we are people with feelings and emotions. It is so easy to expose and reject a stranger. It is so hard and so painful to reject someone that you care for, someone who has helped you, someone that you are grateful to. So hard. And yet, that's the devil's method. They will creep in privily, bringing with them damnable heresies. At the right time, they're going to reveal and expose themselves. But first, they will slowly creep into your very being, into your heart, so that there will be an emotional attachment. Has that not happened in many of our so-called Bible study groups? Instead of coming together to study the Word of God, these false teachers will creep in and they're going to sow their seeds of discord. They're going to bring in damnable heresies and by their pernicious ways, methods, approach, very deadly, stealthy and dangerous and poisonous. Their ways, selling their wares. And what are their wares? What are the products they're selling? Damnable heresies. And you can't discern them if you do not know God's word, dearly beloved. You have to know God's word in order for you to see through them. No other way, because when you have the word of God in your head and in your heart, you have the mind of God. And when you have the mind of God, it is a mind that is wiser, a mind that is better than that of the devil. And whatever cunning devices the devil may spin and sow, you will be able to see through him and see through them. Because without the Word of God, your wisdom is nothing compared to the devil's. 
The devil had thousands of years to master the art of deception. How long do you have? That's why when you have the wisdom of God in you, you have the wisdom of the devil's creator. And that wisdom is God's wisdom. The devil's wisdom is the creature's wisdom, not the creator. And that's how you'll be able to discern who your enemies are, because they are God's enemies too. And based upon the truth, not based upon feelings, it is based upon God's word. And that's how you protect your growth, by recognizing the enemies, and they are real, and they are all around you. They're all around you. BBCWA is a church that has gone through, if memory serves me right, among all the BP churches worldwide, is the church that has experienced the greatest number of splits. And yet, by the grace and mercies of God, you're still around. That's amazing. God, in His infinite mercies, have spared BBCWA so that there will still be a light that shines in that part of the world, in that part of Australia. He has gone through a lot of heartaches because I've known and I've been part of some of them. God has been merciful. Don't despise and waste the copious amount of mercies that the Lord has shown to your church to let you remain and continue to be a place where Christ can continue to be promoted. The sinners can come in and still find salvation in Christ Jesus because the gospel according to Scripture continues to be preached. And brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to come and find in PPCWA a church where they can grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let the enemies take all this away from you. Recognize who they are and then make sure that you choose wisely. The Lord Jesus Christ or someone or something else. You chose wrongly, you die. You choose wisely, you continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's exactly what that phrase means. To continue to grow is to continue to make righteous, Bible-based decisions in life that will help us become more and more like Christ according to scriptures. Because the enemies are not going to just simply evaporate and disappear. They will continue to remain. And they know together with their master, the God of this world, that their time on earth to disturb the work of God are numbered. There are so many years left. And very soon, the rapture will come and the church where all those who are truly born again will be raptured. And what remains will only be the goats 
And that church that remained, the Bible described in Revelation, is the harlot, the prostitute church, where the Antichrist will appear and call himself the Messiah, and then the church will embrace him and believe in him, and it will become the beginning of the Great Tribulation and the last days. But until that day comes, while it is still day before the rapture, guard and protect yourself against the walls of the devil because the enemies to our spiritual growth, they are busy. They are doing their utmost to destroy your witness, slow down and if possible to stop your growth. Don't let them succeed. Keep on studying God's word with a heart of obedience and keep your love for the Lord Jesus Christ burning hot and brightly. That's your only protection against the enemies of our growth. Let us pray.